Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Part two of my conversation with Husband Material Certified Coach, survivor of childhood sexual abuse, professional Santa Claus, and awesome human being, Mike Chapman. Thank you, Drew. Glad to be back. We are going to take some time to learn from you because you have learned a ton about childhood sexual abuse. In the last episode, you told us your story, and now we get to hear your wisdom. One of my favorite things that you've taught me, Mike, is the concept of CSA normal. CSA meaning childhood sexual abuse. And you coined this term. This is your original concept. Why did you create this idea of CSA normal? Well, like I mentioned in last week's episode, uh, back in 2019, I got involved in an online support group for male survivors of sexual abuse called Male Survivor. Uh, We'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, where men from all walks of life who are all survivors of sexual abuse get together for mutual support. As I began reading, I noticed so many commonalities of the men there, so many things that they had in common with me and each other, all because of the abuse. And it made me feel normal in a way because I was no longer the only person who thought these things, who did these things that made no sense otherwise. Now it made sense. So these are all normal things for those of us who had been abused. So it's like, well, yeah, well, it's normal. It's not normal, normal, but it's CSA normal. So yeah, I started using that term. Mike, you have done so much work of identifying some of these patterns and going through so much data, so many stories of men on this forum, thousands of different data points, and you've taken it all and put it into a list of what is CSA normal. What's that list? I will go ahead and list the items that are on my list. It's kind of the top 10, I guess. Uh, And then I'll go through and describe each one. Uh, First of all, same-sex attraction. Uh, Next, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. We'll talk about that. Hypervigilance, which we mentioned last week. Repressed memories. Feelings of guilt and shame. Avoiding romantic relationships. Codependency and people-pleasing. Dissociation. Mood swings. Eroticizing or sexualizing your abuse and trauma sexual, which I'll talk about as well, what that means and where that term came from. So first of all, same-sex attraction. Just because you have SSA does not mean you were uh, abused as a child and that it's not always a cause and effect, but many abused men have at least some kind of same-sex attraction that they deal with. Since many of us were abused by men, it's hard for our psyches to develop whatever our normal attractions would have been without the abuse. 
And one man on Male Survivor said he was never able to explore his sexuality and desires in a healthy and safe environment due to his abuse. And I think that was that explains it so perfectly. Um, next, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and then what's also a newer term being used called CPTSD. It's a lowercase c with PTSD, uh, complex PTSD. I mentioned this last week as well. Uh, Post-traumatic stress disorder is often, if you have a a traumatic event, uh, those uh, military people who any kind of horrible traumatic event or several events that they experience, they have a set of symptoms that they experience uh, that uh, as a result of that trauma. Or for me, when I watched my son be born without a skull. That was trauma. Yes. And if it's left unprocessed and unhealed, it becomes PTSD. Yes, exactly. Um, Now, complex PTSD, from what I understand, is when, usually in childhood, where it's not just one or several traumatic events, but it's almost daily, where it's so often that the reactions of the fear, fight, flight, and all those other Fs that go with that, you are stuck in that mode. Usually, okay, a trauma happens and then you react. Then another trauma happens and you react. Your brain gets stuck in that mode. So even when there's no trauma there, you are still responding as if it was there. So you have that fear, fight, flight, reaction, all those brain chemicals constantly firing off because you were not safe. You were continuously not safe. And that continues on when the trauma stops and it's no longer there, your brain doesn't know to turn that off. So it's still in that constant state of anxiety, wondering, am I safe? How do I keep myself safe? And that continues until that gets addressed which brings up the next item, hypervigilance, which we talked about last week as well. That is a key symptom of PTSD. Uh, It's a fear or a discomfort, especially in large groups that I noticed. Um, In church, uh, I know personally, or like movie theaters, any large group like that or in parties, I like to be like against the wall, near the exit, or like way up front where I can kind of block everything out and not pay attention and try to focus on the speaker. Because if not, it's like, who's here, who's not here. I'm constantly on alert. And I want to talk about that because a lot of times we can hate on fear and say, well, fear is my problem or God says, don't be afraid. So therefore I will not be afraid. I am going to attack my fear. When in reality, a lot of times, actually, almost always, that fear is coming from a part of us that just doesn't feel safe and is responding to the lack of safety with the best solution that we have. Yes. And even if we are in a situation that is safe, a part of us is perceiving the lack of safety. And that needs to be honored. That needs to be loved. That needs to be protected rather than shamed, 
avoided, put down. So I, I want to encourage myself and all of us to be tender and delicate with our fears. Yes. When you have CPTSD, those are real fears. They really existed, even though they're not there anymore. But there is such a valid reason to have those there. And um, that brings up the next point, repressed memories. I repressed all the abuse until I was 30. But that CPTSD and hypervigilance was still there. Even though I didn't, in my conscious memory, remember the trauma. But I still responded to that trauma. Um, And that's another common symptom uh, with repressed memories, that our brain will block out that trauma just so we can survive. Um, Someone described it to me once, uh, if you ever played with marbles and you have a big glass see-through marble, perfectly clear, and you take it and you throw it on the cement and then you pick it up, it's still in a round ball, but it's shattered. It has all those little fragments in it. That's what happens when you face abuse that um, some of those parts of your brain just kind of break off and uh, hide those traumatic experiences. And it's, uh, I call it like, it's, it's a leaky vault. It's a vault these are locked up, but it leaks out and comes into your daily life until you can open up that vault and realize what it is and get healing. So those symptoms of the trauma and how you respond to things continually leak out in your life. And once I opened up that vault, so many things made sense. So many weird reactions I had to things made sense. And something else with repressed memories, when I was discovering my own and I uncovered it, I uncovered it because there was this huge gap in my memory of first grade. And I always remembered not remembering first grade. I remembered kindergarten. I remembered second grade. I remembered a few little minor traumatic events that happened that year, but it was kind of a big black hole. And I always remember not remembering. So having those huge gaps in your memory, that is a sign of repressed memories. And it's a sign that it may have been related to some kind of trauma, including uh, sexual abuse as a child. And another thing, feelings of guilt and shame. So many men feel they should have been strong enough to stop the abuse. I was three. Um, But yeah, should I have been strong enough to stop it? When it happened when I was 20 with the pastor, I did stop it, but part of me still felt the guilt and shame. It's like, did I do something? Did I say something to lead him on? You know, all those guilt and shame and uh, all those feelings were so there and so present. And so many men feel that way when they uncover the abuse, that they should have been strong enough, or they feel shame because their bodies betrayed them during the abuse. When stimulated, our bodies have a physiological response. So you may have an erection, there may be an ejaculation. Those are normal physiological responses. That is normal. That does not mean you condone the abuse. It does not mean you liked the abuse. 
And the abuser can use that against you. And it's like, oh, you're liking this to try to convince you that you're getting permission. Yeah, our bodies become aroused when stimulated regardless of our choice, regardless of our real preferences. The body is going to do what the body is going to do. And that's where a lot of our guilt and shame reside is in the fact that many of us experience pleasure and a part of us liked it. Yeah. And that's okay. And it doesn't mean you were condoning the abuse. And part of the madness is how abusers become so attuned to giving us exactly the thing that we're not getting in other areas of life. Right. That attention, affection, affirmation, special. It's what God created us to desire. And then they take that and turn it against us. Right. In that uh, Leaving Neverland documentary, the two men interviewed there talked about the abuser and how he made it seem this is an expression of love and that this is okay. And so they didn't even view it as abuse really until they were adults, that it was so normalized because uh, that's how abusers operate. That's part of the grooming that they normalize it. And so you don't think it's abuse. And until uh, even they admitted it wasn't until they had children and those children reached the age that they had been abused, then they thought, well, if that stuff had happened to my child, oh, there's no way I'd be so upset. But it happened to me at that age. And that's when it clicked. That's a really helpful question we can ask ourselves. How would I feel if my child was treated this way? Yes, or if you don't have children, if you know um, of a child that same age from your church, uh, from your family and niece and nephew. And yeah, um, that happened recently, a few years ago in my own church. Uh, There was a three-year-old boy um, that I had gotten close to. And then I realized he was three years old and how tiny and small he was. And it just, the realization just hit me and I just wept at how tiny he was, knowing how big I was and what a horrible, horrible thing it was. And that's why we emphasize inner child work at Husband Material and blessing the boy within you because it's not the mature adult part of us who's struggling. It's the three-year-old, it's the six-year-old. And when we can come to that part of us, to the young one, to little Mike or little Drew with curiosity and compassion, and he can experience the love of Jesus and grow up. That's right. Next on the list, avoiding romantic relationships uh, because they can trigger memories of the abuse or you might feel unworthy, that kind of thing. I know in my own life, when I had girlfriends, I was fine with hand-holding, maybe a peck on the cheek, but when uh, we started kissing and things would get heavier, they would want to go further, and I didn't. It just, it freaked me out um, that, yeah, sex was something to be feared. And well before I had remembered any of the abuse, 
um, even before the thing happened with the minister. Uh, that was my reaction of fear. Uh, so yeah, avoiding romance, that's very common. Another thing, codependency, people-pleasing, putting others' well-being ahead of our own because that's what the abusers did. That's part of the grooming process that to show love, we put their needs above our own, our own feeling of discomfort. I was sedated during mine, but many were not uh, during their abuse. So part of it is learning to people, please. And specifically to treat myself as the abuser treated me. Yes, very much so. That we learn that we are worthless. So the only worth we can get is by helping someone with their needs so that they feel better. That's how we feel better for ourselves is to make others feel better because we're worthless. We have no value and that's just drilled into us. We are being treated as objects to be used. Yes. And so that's how we learn to relate to other people. Yes. To be used by them. Very much. The next one uh, that's very common, dissociation. Uh, when triggered, if you've ever uh, been driving, uh, your normal commute back and forth to work, and your mind just kind of shuts off and goes into autopilot, and you're driving, and you're dri wait, what, am I, what exit am I on? Where, where am I? That's dissociation. And it happens a lot when you uh, have been abused. Yeah, I'll have arguments with my daughter, who I love very dearly. But if uh, she's talking to me, if it just gets a little bit too intense, boom, my mind will go and completely shut off. And then she'll say, Dad, are you still here? And she'll, she'll see it and she'll see it on my face. Where did you just go? It's like, okay, no, I'm good. Okay. And bring me back. The analogy I have for this is kind of like an escape hatch. Yes. If repressed memories are in a vault that is leaky, then dissociation is going through my little escape hatch to a world where none of the bad things going on around me are happening. A world where I can forget about things, a world where I can leave my body and be somewhere else. That's dissociation. And by the way, if you say disassociation, that's okay. I just want to gently correct you. It's dissociation. Right. And that's perfect description, Drew, because when you are being abused, that's how you survive it. You dissociate. Your mind goes elsewhere so that you can survive what is being happening, what is happening to you physically. That, yeah. yeah, it's a total escape hatch to keep you safe, to keep you alive. So some of us might be wondering, why do I spend so much time on my phone or on the internet scrolling social media? Well, it's a powerful escape hatch. Yes, yes. Or watching hours and hours binging on movies or sports. It's giving us a way out. Yes. So we don't have to think, we don't have to remember. Exactly. We want to bless that and honor that because it really did help us survive or else we wouldn't have done it. Um, for me, playing the Pokemon video games when I was a kid, that helped me get through some 
very difficult times of life. And so we have to we have to hold both the honor for what helped us survive and the honesty about how it's not helping us so much all these years later. Another thing that's common is mood swings. You can go from happy and jump to sad right away. As you learn to unlock your feelings, to feel your feelings, they just kind of leak out or pour out. Um, and yeah, I'll, I, I'm a crier. I'll cry at the drop of a hat. Um, and I'll be happy one moment, sad another. And um, yeah, they just kind of bombard you sometimes. So yeah, mood swings can be common. Uh, definitely. Uh, next big one is eroticizing or sexualizing your abuse, whether that's through fantasy, porn, or actual relationships, that you will reenact the abuse somehow. Um, and uh, for me, I was free from porn for like two years before going on to this journey and uncovering this stuff. And then realizing, wow, I was trafficked by my father and all those horrible abuses paralleled what that porn was when I typed in the search bar. But the only thing I remembered at that time was what my father had done to me. And what I typed in had nothing to do with that. It was this stuff that I hadn't even remembered that was driving that addiction. And it wasn't until uncovering that then, oh, that made so much sense uh, because of the trafficking, the fact that, yeah, I was often tied up, uh, all those horrible things happened to me that fed into what I was looking at online. And even though I'd been free from that for a couple of years, then it uncovered and then it made sense. Your journey of discovering where some of those sexual fantasies came from really helped you get to a new level of healing. And a lot of that came from some of the work that we did in husband material. Yes, definitely. Um, helped so much. Yeah. With the Academy, so many specific lessons in the uh, husband material Academy just um, helped attack those things. And now those fancy things that were still in my head, even though I've been porn free, those have lessened so much. Um, no longer have the power, but that is such a huge theme. Everyone talks about it on this board that uh, even those in real relationships or they're going um, from sexual encounter to sexual encounter, often reliving those abuses that happen to them. Mm -hmm. and oftentimes they don't even realize it. Fantasies that are violent or strange are CSA normal. Yes. With sexualizing the abuse, it brings up this other term that uh, was brought up uh, called trauma sexual. And this is from author Peter John Schouten, S-C-H-O-U-T-E-N. I'm probably butchering that last name. He wrote a book of the same title uh, and he has a website translated into a bunch of languages. Uh, but 
uh, trauma sexuality, it's men who are sexually abused as boys, they do not usually have a smooth journey in their sexual life. They often suffer from their own sexuality. There are many similarities between all these men. A chronic confusion about their sexual identity. Questions about their masculinity and their own male body. Questions about sexual roles, male and female. Sexual behavior patterns with addictive elements. No control over their own sexual behavior. Tendency towards self-obliteration through sex or submitting to the power of another person. That's the, his list of the symptoms, and he goes on to say it's a form of sexuality that is influenced by sexual experiences in childhood that have caused a shock or trauma in the body. It has to do with the blending and merging of the sexuality of someone else who has penetrated you and your own sexuality. This creates contradictory feelings, and it is difficult to separate what is your own and what belongs to the other. Makes a lot of sense. Yes. And this uh, man has a website and even a test you can take uh, online for free to see if you fit into the trauma sexuality description and we'll give you re results. I took it again. And oh yeah, I was high, of course. Um, but it's very interesting, his take on it. We'll put a link to that in the show notes, as well as a PDF of CSA Normal and all of the different components that we've talked about here. Mike, this is really helpful for helping us understand the problem and the symptoms. When it comes to healing from childhood sexual abuse, what are some of the common questions that people have? For memory, we mentioned repressed memory, um, and people question, well, how do you know the memory's real or not? And um, I was told by my therapist that your mind, if it's going to replace a story, it's going to replace a traumatic story with a less traumatic story, not the other way around. We talk about the many parts of us, especially if you're familiar with internal family systems, Mike, what are some of the parts within you that you've discovered? Oh, boy. Um, that's that's a huge uh, ask. But yeah, similar to internal family systems, that all of us have different parts within inside of us. But with the trauma of childhood sexual abuse, uh, they're dissociative parts. And they hold the traumas. They take on different roles to keep the main you healthy and alive. And as I've been going through healing, I've had several uh, parts that have come out, uh, including who I called the vault keeper. They were, that was the keeper of the secrets, holding those tight and then getting the point where he felt safe enough to say, oh, okay, I can open up those secrets. And so many others holding rage, uh, holding the traumas of being trafficked. That was huge. That was several holding different types of the traumas. Um, and 
um, that they all need to be addressed and um, all need to find their new place post-trauma. Yeah, what do you mean by that? Where they fit. Talk to my therapist. (laughs) He's wonderful at that. Um, But yeah, uh, discovering the part and then uh, seeing, okay, he has a role. What's he's there? What's his story? uh, What's his role? And then figuring out, okay, is there specific trauma? Helping that part of you heal from that trauma. And then helping him find a new place within you. Uh, Because it's still me. It's just parts of me. And then uh, one term is used, reintegration. I say uh, in my sessions, it's like they graduate. They graduate. They have a new role inside of me. They're still part of me. Could you maybe talk about one of your parts and what it looked like for that part to heal? Part of my therapy, what my therapist does, different therapists will do different things, is to, um, when I get to that part, is to find a, he calls it a power animal, just something from nature, kind of like a spiritual animal, but not really uh, something from nature that you can draw power on while you're dealing with their trauma. And then each part ended up with a different animal. Um, And I know a more recent one was rage and it was, it was a porcupine just me against the world, hate everyone, everyone's going to drive me crazy. And yeah, and uh, yeah, I have a very slow fuse, but when something snaps, it's like a volcano. And yeah, um, once rage got healed, uh, then yeah, that kind of stopped. And I'm like very chill when I used to like blow up at things, I'll still get angry at things, but it's not that full out rage like I had. But yeah, so it was like a little porcupine and just sitting there, just mad at the world. And it's like, don't mess with me. You know, that was kind of his attitude. And then realizing it's like, okay, you can have a role and you can, um, we helped him deal with that trauma. uh, That was part of the trafficking and realized it's safe. You don't have to be this anymore. You don't have to carry this anger and making him feel safe so he can let that go. And then eventually, yeah, he graduated. I love that. What's his new role? His new role is adventure seeker. Um, And actually that was part of all of those, that time where the trauma happened. There was a few parts that came up uh, in my story. Uh, But yeah, their new role is adventure seeker. So finding new adventures, uh, like flying to Santa Barbara for the men's and uh, agreeing to take on the role of uh, coach within husband material. That's another new adventure that, yeah, previously, no, that's not safe. That's, that's new. And yeah, I would not feel comfortable doing that. But yeah, they seek adventure and they're they're happy with that. So so beautiful. I love it. I love how this this part of you that was holding rage is now taking you on redemptive risks. Yeah, it's been amazing. Definitely. This is just one of the different approaches to treating childhood sexual abuse. What are some of the others? 
Many have found success with traditional therapies like cognitive behavioral therapy or other types of talk therapy. However, there are more specific trauma-focused therapies that have been developed really over the last decade. Um, so they're all pretty new and they've shown great success in a short amount of time that they've been developed. The most popular and the most widely known treatment is called EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, which according to Wiki, I got their uh, definition. It's a form of psychotherapy in which the person being treated is asked to recall distressing images. The therapist then directs the patient in one type of bilateral stimulation, such as side-to-side -side eye movement rapidly or hand tapping, and uh, it basically rewires the memory so it's no longer traumatic. And somehow that back and forth does something with the brain to take that visual memory and reframe it, reprocess it so it's no longer traumatic. Um, but you're basically reliving the traumas, but it's very successful for many. I think my therapist, because I was sedated during most of my abuse, there are no visual memories. So he knew I needed something else. He is trained in EMDR and lots of other methods, but he used other stuff, which I'll get to um, in a moment. Uh, that's a type of somatic therapy. There's other types of somatic therapy as well that work with uh, trauma, including brain spotting, comprehensive resource model, also called CRM, and HUNA, H-U-N-A, which is based on traditional Hawaiian spiritual practices. Someone who from Hawaii who knew those practices and was also a licensed therapist realized, hey, there's a lot of crossover. And so he took some of those spiritual practices in his practice and then developed this whole method of working through trauma and other things using those spiritual practices. Uh, the last two things, CRM and HUNA, that's what my therapist uses on me. And they're all very effective. As a lay person, it's all what I call weird ass mumbo jumbo. But <laughs> it's effective, weird-ass mumbo-jumbo. Um, they, they, they know how to work with your brain. And the Bible is so full of different descriptions of how your brain is formed, uh, the renewing of your mind. All of those scriptures talking about what happens up here that these therapists have really keyed into and develop these practices to allow healing to occur. So as a Christian, how do you view all of this seemingly weird ass mumbo jumbo? Well, like I said last week, I had concerns about seeing a non-Christian therapist. And again, I'll tell you the scripture my pastor told me uh, that he prayed for me when I was concerned about going to see a non-Christian therapist. And he gave me that scripture from Isaiah 52, 12. You will not leave in a hurry running for your lives for the Lord will be ahead of you. Yes, the God of Israel will protect you from behind. That if you trust God, he will lead you through the therapy. He will tell you what you need to take on, what you need to put aside, what you need to slightly process in a slightly different way. And he also has your six. So he has your back. 
he will protect you uh, coming and going and help you through that and just trust him in the process and trust yourself and certain things. Uh, yeah, that's like meditation. I'll throw a scripture in there just in my own head or uh, worship songs. I'll throw in my own head uh, during some of these processes. And it's just been amazing. It's not a choice of either or it can be a both and. Yes. God's the healer. He's given us so much to be able to heal in Jesus, in one another, in the Holy Spirit within us, and in many of these different approaches that have been developed. And I'm really excited to invite all of you to an event that we are putting on together. It is the Husband Material Virtual Retreat on Healing from Sexual Abuse. Mike is going to be a part of this. I'm going to be a part of this. Dr. Doug Carpenter is going to be our main speaker. Super excited for him and his new book on healing from sexual abuse for men. And this is going to be a place where you can come with your story. You can come with your specific brokenness and we are going to heal together. Sounds wonderful. I can't wait. Mike, what is your best advice to a man who may have experienced childhood sexual abuse, CSA. Do not be afraid to reach out and get help. Healing is available. There are reasons why you feel the way you do as a result of the abuse. And the most important thing to know about the abuse, it was not your fault. Let me repeat that. It was not your fault. Men tend to blame themselves for the abuse, that somehow they had a part in it, but no, it was not your fault. Awesome. Mike, what is your favorite thing about healing from CSA, childhood sexual abuse? I have begun to learn who the real Mike is, who I was created to be, and I'm beginning to like what I've found as a result of all this healing, who the real Mike is. And I kind of like him. I love him. (laughs) Yeah, I love you, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Drew. It's been a pleasure. So don't forget, reach out for help. One amazing way to do that will be at the Husband Material Virtual Retreat on Healing from Sexual Abuse. And always remember, you are God's beloved son in you. He is well pleased.